Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home schedule and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. Hello, listeners. Christine here, and I am delighted to have a wonderful guest on the line today, Catherine Newman. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Christine. Can you hear me smiling? I'm so I happy. I can hear to be it. I can hear it. And and I am after, as I said to you before, we officially started after a morning that I started burning sage, like being able to talk to you. The smile is real. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Well, I have wanted to have you on this show for ages, and I'm so thrilled it's finally happening. Me um, too. Yeah, and actually, even though your latest book, you have you are a multi-book author, but um, your latest book, I, I should have talked to you earlier, but hey, better late than never, and the timing is perfect right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm thrilled, honestly, to get to talk about it with you now. Yeah. It's perfect for me. Well, let's actually begin. I'm getting ahead of myself. We really should start with a little basic backstory. And I was just wondering, you know, for listeners who may not be familiar with you or love you and just want to hear the story again, if you could give us like a little um, intro into your life. I also need to know what your PhD is in. So anyway, can you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have a PhD. It's my secret PhD and it's in um, early modern literature. Oh, okay. Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I got that at UC Santa Cruz while I was busy being like a hippie, you know, ocean chick um, and having a baby living in one room in a friend's house because it was so expensive there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that. Never to be mentioned or used again. Um, We'll just never (laughs) speak of that. And no, it was great. I mean, honestly, my husband also got a PhD he doesn't use um, in philosophy from Berkeley. And we just think of that as like, the 10 years we spent in California reading, yeah. like it was really great. And now he's a massage therapist and I'm a writer. Um, and I'm a writer is the other piece. Um, and that really came about. The thing is, if you'd asked me when I was in kindergarten, what I wanted to be, I would have told you a writer. Mm-hmm. I loved writing. And then I kind of lost track of it or it didn't seem like a thing you could do maybe I it's so funny isn't it like 
we got to be careful with our kids and treasure their passions because Mm. I went a really roundabout way coming back to writing. And partly that was because I needed to make money when I was a grad student. And I, my best friend from college was working at family fun magazine and she would assign me stories, um, like make a birdhouse out of a coconut or whatever, like the most ridiculous stuff. And I did all of it. And that was how I got into writing. And now I've written a, I've, I've written in a couple of genres, but um, I will pretty much write anything. I mean, that's what I find so fascinating, though, that if you look at and we'll link up your website for so readers can check everything <laughs> out. But you. I just I feel like it's so incredible that you've written you've written for young adults, you've written for adults, you've done a craft book. I mean, it just feels but now that I know about the family fun intersection, I can I, see right? why a craft book I, is not as out of realm. Of I know it's really not. I yeah, I am. Um, on the one hand, I have a lot of interests. And on the other hand, I'm kind of like a whore about what I'll do. Like, <laughs> ask me to do it. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. Oh, money. Okay. Um, so I love, I really have a lot of things I like to think and write about. And that yeah. works super well for me since it's how I make a living. Um, and I'll tell you a secret. This is the first time I'm saying this out loud. Oh my gosh. I mean, I've told my family. Yeah. I just sold uh, an adult novel. I don't mean adult in the like X novel. A yes. grown up <laughs> novel is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I just sold my oh, first congratulations. Grown-up novel. Thanks. Thank you. I just, you know, that's that's amazing. And um, you know, we we actually just recently did a, a summer reading episode. Yes, books, I happen to know that you did that. Yeah, books are just they are magic and personally <laughs> so sustaining for me, just like as a human and they're Same. what they're like a major form of self-care. So that just oh makes me so happy. I can't wait to Same. read it. <laughs> Same. Thank you. Um, and are you like a get into bed with a book person? Always. Yes. Pa- and it's paper. It's always paper. Same. Yes. Oh my God. Same, same. Same. Yeah, but that is actually one of the things that um has been great too, you know, as a parent, you know, we have a lot of uh parents of younger kids. I mean, spanning the whole range, but I remember that magical moment, you know, for both of my girls around kindergartenish, like when they started reading, and then maybe I don't know how long it was, a year or two later, when they started like reading longer books, like you know, easy chapter books, and it was a whole new world. And now QRT, quiet reading time, is a thing around here at night, and it is oh, divine. How lovely! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Well, I somehow raised a reader and a not reader. And it took me years to kind of like get over myself about the fact that my son does not like reading for pleasure. Mm. He's 21 now. And he's like, hey, everyone has a different hobby. I notice you don't play the piano. And I was mm-hmm. like, fair enough. Okay. True. True. Yeah. Yes. And I will say, I also came to reading as an adult. Like I was so, you know, there's hope, you know. Oh, <laughs> actually, that is incredibly reassuring to me. Yeah. 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 I just, I mean, that's just how it went. Okay. Anyway. I want to talk about your your latest title, um, How to Be a Person, 65 Hugely Useful, Super Important Skills to Learn Before You're Grown Up. I, I'm obsessed with life skills. I think people on this show know that. Um, I, I just, I want everybody to be okay. I want everybody to be functional. I want, yeah. you know, and I'm somebody who grew up with a family member who, a sibling who lived at home for way too long and, you know didn't know how to do a lot of things. So I, I just think it's really, really important for human development uh, for us to all learn how to do that stuff. So 
the thing that struck me as interesting about your book, um, it's an illustrated book. It's geared towards kids. And I would love to know why you decided to position that, like what the inspiration was there. Because a lot of books about becoming an adult and life skills are geared towards parents. Yeah, that's a great question. I um, It's geared towards kids for a really specific reason, which is that I have this kid, my daughter, Birdie, who's 18 now, but um, she has, oh, she's the younger kid. And I think she has a younger kid personality, mm. um, which is like, I'll do it myself. You know, that personality, mm-hmm. like, don't tell me how to do it. Don't show me, don't touch me while I'm doing it. She was like this when she was two, like you'd come in and she'd have taken off her own diaper and was trying to like read diaper herself, <laughs> you know, and you'd yep. be like, okay, good try. Yeah. Um, so she has not ever wanted to be um, taught anything by us. And so at some point, and this was maybe when she was like 14 or 13, I asked her to do something like um, my parents were coming for Thanksgiving. And I said, hey, honey, can you just sweep the kitchen for me before grandma and grandpa get here? And she was like, yes, I can. I don't know how to do that, but don't explain it to me. Mm. I'll figure it out. And I was like, oh, my God, you are such a pain. And I realized that we were going to have this problem with her not wanting to learn anything from me. She's, you know, Mm -hmm. not don't explain that to me. So I went to the library and I said, hey, um, can you give me your book? That's like the huge illustrated encyclopedia of chores for kids. And they were like, yeah, that's not a book. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not a book that exists. And I was like, what? And I pictured this book I thought they would have that would be like one of those DK books where it's all yeah. photos, yes. where yes. every page would be like 12, a 12 up of photos of like wiping a counter with a sponge mm-hmm. labeled mm-hmm. by steps. Not a book that exists. And I pitched that book to Story, my publisher. And they were like, you are the only person in the world who wants that book. And I will just, I would like to say that I don't think that's actually true. I don't think that they true. had a good point, which was that's not a fun book. Mm-hmm. No kid wants that book. No parent wants to buy that book. And what if we did, what if we came to some sort of compromise and we did an illustrated book that was part chores and part other things, mm-hmm. you know, not just chores. I wanted a book that was just the things we think of as chores how to wipe a counter, how to vacuum, how to clean the toilet. Because the truth is, it's not like the air you breathe. You actually have to learn the skills. Yes. It Mm -hmm. turns out we do a lot of this stuff when the kids aren't watching. Mm -hmm. For one thing, we're not always like, look at me. This is how you get out the vacuum cleaner, right? I'm a nice person. I get out the vacuum cleaner when nobody's home, you know? Mm -hmm. So they don't even like know where it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway... That's how um, this book came to be. And what Birdie will do, my daughter, is pick up a book. So she doesn't want you to explain something, but she will put post-its all through the book. And I found out last year when this book came out that lots of kids are like that. And the thing I love about a book is it'll keep all your secrets. You forgot how to do the thing you already Mm. learned. Just Mm -hmm. open the book again. You don't have to be like, hey, remember when you showed me like how to load the dishwasher? I'm too shy to ask again. You just can learn. I love that so much. And the 
immediate parallel that comes to mind for me is sex ed books, especially, especially Roby Harris. Some kids just, they don't want to have a conversation and it's just best to leave the book around and then they pick it up when they want it. That's exactly what I was thinking because there was a year where I just got all the sex ed books out of the library and I put them on the coffee table and they disappeared into people's rooms Nobody had to talk to me about them. I didn't even follow up pointedly like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I was like, does anyone have library books? I got to return everything. And they all came back to me, went back to the library. There were a couple that seemed to get extra play and I bought them and oh, left genius. them in the bookcase yep. with like the Atlas. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am so with you about the sex ed books because that's the way a lot of kids are. Leave it around. Don't talk to them about it. Let mm-hmm. them pick it up and look at it. And apparently a bunch of people have left how to be a person. I'm not lying to you in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Where like their reading kids a comic just, book while yeah, you're on the pot. Their Perfect. kids will just pick it up. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. Yeah. Right. Not read this book and learn these skills, but just like, hey, yeah. here's a fun book. to It look just at. looks fun. Yeah, it just looks fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you completely. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, we have a lot more we're going to talk about. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Are you like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Catherine Newman. And Catherine, there is something that is briefly referenced in the intro of your book that I just love. You reference the connection between happiness and being a functional human being. Can you can you say more about that? Because I just feel like that framing shift is so important. And it's actually not one that I hear a ton when I think about kids learning how to do basic stuff. 
Yes. And I'm so glad you asked about that because it's like my favorite thing. So there's this neuroscientist, Kelly Lambert. And every time I say her name, I'm like, no, that's a country singer. But I think that really is her name, Kelly Lambert. And I've talked to her a bunch for different things I've worked on. And I love, love talking to her. And she's done a ton of research that connects happiness with um, doing meaningful work with your hands. And that Mm. doesn't, and all she means by that is tangible um, work that your brain recognizes as important. And this is from like an adaptive evolutionary standpoint. So the things, it's obvious things that you would think of when you think of that. It's like, chopping wood or making food or, you know, mending clothes or, you know, helping repair a home, any cleaning, anything your brain interprets as an important thing that you do, it'll reward you for with, with good brain chemicals, mostly dopamine. Uh So when you do, so one of her theories is that in fact, um, kind of being authentically helpful is a natural antidepressant. Mm. And I think about that all the time because you can feel that, you know, and everyone thinks it's sort of this woo woo feeling. Like if you spend some time in the garden, I'm a horrible gardener. So that's not an example that works for me, but I like my mom will garden for half the day and feel great. Yep, And that's not just like, Oh, just because you are outside or just because whatever, it's because your brain is actually drugging you to keep gardening. Mm-hmm. So I not only love this because it also speaks to the opposite, which is when you're on your phone all day, and I have this too, or on my laptop all day, your brain does not interpret that as life sustaining activity and does not reward you for it. You could feel that, right? Like you get oh, yeah. off your computer after an eight hour day, you do not feel like high on life. I I feel murderous. Right. Same. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. So not only do I love the fact of it, I, I'm a huge fan of actually telling kids about the brain chemistry of being authentically helpful, because I think it's helpful to know that. Like, Mm -hmm. so on the one hand, there are a lot of other more obvious reasons um, to help kids learn how to be helpful. And on the other hand, they will be immediately rewarded for it. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's good information for them. Like good information, they learn it now, but also they file it away and take it into life, right? You have a crappy day, spend some time on the weekend doing meaningful stuff. Yeah. I mean, so important. So that is that's something I love. And that's honestly not to, again, be like, oh, bring it back to like sex and drugs. But I think kids really are interested in the way brains work. And I remember explaining to my kids when they were, you know, fairly young teenagers, like 12 and 15, the way drugs screw up your dopamine system, you know, that it's not. It's not like you're a drug addict and it's bad in some sort of abstract way. It's like you have a substance use disorder. This is how it works in your brain. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. you release all your dopamine all at once. And then there's not really enough to make you feel good about regular stuff like going for a bike ride or helping your dad make dinner. And I think kids are really... Um, 
I think science-based approaches to um, teaching about important things, I think it works really well. My kids were really interested in that and it didn't feel like it was just moralizing. And I feel the same way about chores. Like, I'm not standing here being like, you're a bad person if you don't clean the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm standing here being like, I know you don't want to clean the bathroom and it's gross, but I, your brain's going to totally reward you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think your comment there about not moralizing them, I think that's that's the money right there. You know, if you can talk yeah. about this, this is fact. This is science. Like, And kids science. these days are into science. So I know. And I, yeah. 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 No, it's just also making me think about I can't count the number of times that my kids have done something like maybe they were kind of dreading it or it was a chore or something. But then they say, wow, that was really satisfying. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's ha- it happens is, all the time. Oh, my God. Doesn't it? Where they show you their blisters from like, you know, chopping wood or whatever. And yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah, you got blisters from that. You know, I, it's really good. And just. To be clear, I'm not a person who has done an especially good job teaching my kids to do stuff. Now, I I um I often haven't realized what they don't know until I have occasion to realize it, if that makes sense. So I have assumed that my kids have picked up skills that they don't actually have, even as like, mm-hmm. you know, young adults. And so I think one of the other things is just to not be this is so hard, honestly, even though it's terrible that we would feel this way. But you know that sometimes when they don't know how to do something and you're like a little inclined to be pissed at them, even yeah. though they didn't even know they didn't of course, know yes. how to do that because they didn't know it was even a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where they're like, oh, my God, you have to do that. And I'm like, yes, I do that while you're sleeping. And they're yeah. like, we didn't know. You know, so that's the other piece is also just. I don't know. I'm a, a, one thing I have been good at and it's not teaching them stuff, but it is being really grateful when they help me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they likewise have learned to be really grateful when I help them. Mm -hmm. And I think having a culture of this is going to sound sort of weird and like corny or like little house on the prairie or something, but I, for me, graciousness um, around people being helpful is, it's really important to me. And one of the things I felt when my kids were younger is, you know, it's awkward to be dependent and they're dependent. You know, that's how it, yeah. that's the premise. That's why mm-hmm. you check that box on your taxes. Mm-hmm. Do you have dependents? Yes, you do. And mm-hmm. it's your kids. And I always felt like, you know, it was nice to be like, oh, I'm happy to help when they were little because they needed help, you know, and, and they've always been like that with me in return. And I feel like that is a really good thing. I'm not like, help me or else you're an asshole. I'm like, help me because I need your help. And thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been just a, um, when I think about like the family ethos that I've wanted. It's that like, Mm -hmm. we all need a ton of help. I'm not a person who's like, ah, you know, you made that hole for yourself. You better get yourself out of it. I'm that's not my style. I feel like I'm super available to help. And I expect the same. And the kids have always been right there for me with like reading my stuff or advising on stuff or 
you know, sticking their hand in the turkey to fish around for the bag of horribleness that you, know, you have to remember <laughs> to get out. <laughs> you know, and I, like yeah, whatever kind yeah. of help, like they're just in it with me. Yeah. And I um, and I just really appreciate that. Hmm. Well, the, you may have just answered my next question, but let me oh, ask it. Sorry, let me sorry. ask it anyway. Yeah, no, no I really I'm curious. Well, I'm a bit of a when it comes to uh, nonfiction, especially I'm I'm a bit of a nerd about structure. I kind of always obsess over the table of contents, the table of contents yes. and the acknowledgments. Actually. Oh, my God. I love that about um, you. Yes. Yes. Same. So, you know, I I was looking at the structure of your book and, you know, obviously the chapters include things that one would want to have in a book like this, like learning how to care about things and make dirty things, not dirty, et cetera. But I think one thing that just I love so much is that there is a chapter dedicated to communication. It's called saying it right, how to be kind and get your point across. And so, you know, I was curious about the inspiration for this. And if you felt given that you were probably writing it at a time when our world was in a complete dumpster fire based on the previous presidential administration, if that informed that at all, or if that's just part of your family system and what has been valuable to you, you know, like what you were just talking about that, if that bled in or that's you know, a, I'm curious. That's such a great question. On the one hand, yeah, that is just like my sort of family's ethos. And on the other hand, yeah, I was writing this during the Trump administration and we were seeing the actually catastrophic payout of not caring about other people. Mm. I mean, like murderous, actually, like lives at stake because of a sense that what's important above all is is um, your freedom to be your own unencumbered self in the world. And I don't believe in that at all. So a hundred percent this book is, is um, at least in part, a response to that. And I think one thing that's kind of a trick about this book is that it seems like it's a book about independence and it's kind of framed that way. Like, you know, there's a picture of, uh, on the back of like a little girl jumping out of a helicopter with her parachute, right? Like mm-hmm. her parents are waving. Okay. That's great. And I do think people need to learn skills and be able to do stuff by themselves secretly it's a book about relationships Mm. because the truth is Mm -hmm. if you live alone for your whole life I don't really care if you know how to clean the bathroom you could clean it or not I don't I actually have no objection to the way you choose to live if you live alone but we don't live alone we live even if you inhabit an apartment by yourself you live in relationship to other people Mm -hmm. that's what our lives are about or that's my feeling about sort of the meaning of life. It's our relationships. So all of these skills are skills about um, like, how do we live in community with other people? Well, partly how we do that is we don't expect one person to do all the heavy lifting, right? Oh man. Yeah. In Uh every way, in my dream life, everyone moves through the world saying in a million different ways, what can I do to help you? Mm. What can I do in this situation to be helpful? And I mean that at every level, right? Like yeah. not just sticking your hand in the turkey at home, but seeing your older neighbor like struggling with her, pushing her dumpster to the curb, or seeing the soup kitchen in your town, 
or seeing, a, you know, an election unfolding that could really use your voice or, you know, at every sort every of level. Yeah. circle outward that the impulse to say, hey, what can I do to help? That's going to just make your life better for the aforementioned reasons and just make the world better. So, you know, I like to tell the story of this friend of ours. He's like my best friend, but I lived with him um, the year we graduated from college. And he is the greatest person. He's like, a, he's an educator now. He's the most amazing person. But at a, as a 20 year old, I was so frustrated living with him because he didn't take the trash out. He didn't mm-hmm. do his dishes and seemed totally oblivious. And at the end of this year that we, I was moving with my um, then boyfriend, who's now my husband into a different apartment. And our friend said, ah, I'm so bummed to be leaving this apartment. The bathroom always stayed so clean here. <laughs> and I was like, I'll never speak to you again. <laughs> and, um, and you're the worst person that ever lived. Like his sense of it was that we lived in an apartment with like a magical self-cleaning bathroom. I can't tell you how much I don't want to raise kids who think that, Yeah, you know, who are just like, wow, we're so lucky that we live where there's a generating dining table that puts dinner out every night. It's incredible, isn't it? Right? (laughs) Isn't it? We're so lucky. I just feel like seeing what people are doing around you and helping out, like that's a huge value for me. Huge. And to be clear, this person now is super helpful. But it was a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And a gendered one to not say the most obvious thing. That like historically boys have much more had the luxury of not being helpful. You know, where nobody thought to make them get up from the table. My grandmother, I had to get up and do the dishes. My brother could sit at the table and like pick his teeth with a toothpick, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I yes, I grew up in a traditional Korean patriarchal household. So I I, I hear you. So you're familiar with I'm familiar with the model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is incredibly wonderful. Actually, when you were just talking about the general kind of wish for the world, I actually found myself getting a bit teary. So on that note. (laughs) um, Hashtag menopause. um, Perhaps. Who knows? Uh, But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk a bit about the actual um, doing of some of these things um, after we return. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? 
My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Catherine Newman, multidimensional author. (laughs) And um, Catherine, this has been so illuminating and wonderful and joy inspiring. So I just want to thank you for that gift. Truly. Like I feel the same way talking to you. Like I feel super energized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so thank you first. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, Asha calls this the option C kid. Like somebody, if you give them two choices, you know, that's the age old parenting advice, like advice, give kids (laughs) choice A or B and her kid always chose C. Um, so I'm sure you thought about this as you were writing the book, but I would love to know if you have maybe a key recommendation or two, if you've got resisting kids, um, like how do you make it fun and convince kids that this is a great idea for them to be a functional human being? Yeah, it's, that's so tricky because the truth is some of it's not fun and it still has to happen. And those are the hardest things, you know, like I always say, like teach a kid to sweep before you teach them to vacuum because that pile of crud that mm-hmm. came off your kitchen floor is, is in fact going to offer some organic satisfaction in a way that stuff disappearing into a vacuum bag is not. Although idea. we now have a clear mm-hmm. canister vacuum, mm-hmm. which is much more fun and satisfying because you could be like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> that all came out of the rug. Like, how does our cat have any fur left? Um, So I do feel like a little bit of um, sort of thinking about what, you know, as a gateway, what's going to feel good to the kid to do? Mm -hmm. What are the things, what, what taps into some of their natural abilities just to get started? Because, you know, you can't go from nothing to like cleaning a toilet. Yes. So brutal and gross and unrewarding for some people. I, I actually find that's rewarding, but that's just me. Um, and I'm not that clean to be clear. That's, I just need to say another thing is the bar is set very low in my house because I'm not especially clean. I'm not especially particular about it. So I think that's been a, a bonus to my kids. I'm not like you call this a vacuumed carpet. I'm like, thank God, like you got most of the hairball off, mm-hmm. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that I think lowering your standards a little while kids are learning stuff, I think is important. You know what I mean? Just the obvious, like where you're not hovering around critically. You're like, great, thank you. Yeah. You know, if you have to touch it up, like do it in the middle of the night when nobody's watching you. So that's one thing. And then I think stuff with a lot of payout. Um, I think about, you know, one of my favorite things um, with kids is to be like, hey, can you make dinner tonight? Mm -hmm. Kids who have a tiny, even the tiniest bit of cooking skills and to open your mind completely about what dinner might be. If they know how to make scrambled eggs, 
that could be dinner. If they know how to make quesadillas, mm-hmm. that could be dinner. And so this book has both those recipes in it. It's got a lot of like super beginner recipes. And I just feel like, oh my God, the pleasure of feeding your people. It's so it's profound. so profound, yeah. And it's so profound for kids. And it's like so real. Like you make dinner and your family eats it. That's a real thing. There's nothing abstract about it. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that as just a thing or like, I was wondering if you'd want to, um, make dinner some night this week. I'm going shopping. Is there anything special you'd want to mm, make? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, you know, cause I am a person who's always like, okay, I have a bunch of turnips for my CSA and a can of beans, you know, like mm-hmm. that's going to be dinner. But like for kids, when they're learning, it's nice to offer to pick up, like, I don't know, some special ingredient they want. If you can like, stand to budget for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so great. I actually, you know, I've said this repeatedly on this show, but I, when my children were young, I was not the parent who had any patience or interest in sitting on the floor or playing with dolls or whatever. I just got so bored. Right. So the kitchen, yeah, the kitchen was where we had fun. We would bake, we would cook. I'd have them, you know, as they can come in there as soon as they can start following commands or like understand. Um, and it's had such a huge payoff, their oh confidence in the kitchen. And do they bake now? Oh, yeah. Do they make oh, stuff? Yeah. And aren't you so happy? Yeah. Sometimes when I'm working, my teenager will like make an omelet and bring it to me. And I think, <gasps> what is just, this life? Yeah. I mean, aren't you like, kill me so I could die happy because it, just, it feels so, so good. That is the sweetest, loveliest thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because cultural, you know, as a Korean person, culturally, Food is huge, I mean, in our culture. And and I remember, I mean, this might also be a function of having grown up in a huge household. I'm one of seven kids, but we were never allowed in the kitchen because it was just yeah. too many people. My mom like had a system. Yes. So I didn't learn to cook until like reading. I didn't learn to like get into that until I was an adult. And then I just I loved it. And so it's been so fun to have that be a thing with my kids, you know. Oh, that is so great. And also that you when your kids were younger, could see that you would invest a little time and potentially a little mess, right? Like yes, of kids course. are not tidy cookers, but to see that as an investment in a much bigger kind of payoff and lesson about how to be and how to, um, how to cherish people, you know, cooking is such an act of cherishing, bringing you that omelet. Oh my God, I just can't even stand it. I know it's great. And one little hack on this for, you know, other parents who are sort of in this realm of kids, you know, cause usually kids, they want to bake stuff. They want to make brownies and whatever. And once my kids got a bit older, um, we kind of developed an arrangement where I was like, if you make a meal, like something that is sustaining for the family over a meal, I will do all the dishes. But if you, if nice. you, if you make like a treat, that's fine too, but you, you got, have, to, you have to do the dishes. And that, Oh my God, that's such a good hack. <laughs> and it really, it really helped a lot. Like, you know, we still had brownies around and whatever, but it was just, it changes the game a little bit. And uh, that was very helpful. Oh so. my God. I love that hack. I got, I'm thinking about it. I, yeah, my son really loves to cook and he's like a real food person. And the thing he brings to our family that I never do when he's not home is deep frying. Oh, I am yeah. so not a deep fryer. I'm yeah. like, I'm not bringing a gallon of oil to a boil so we can have <laughs> calamari. No, he is happy to do that. 
And oh my God, the pleasure it brings me, you know, like to sit down to like a plate of French fries and oh bang bang shrimp would, or whatever. That's I'm like amazing. dying. Yeah, that is amazing. All right. Well, I have one last question for you and that, well, I, I'm lying a little bit. I kind of have two last questions, but the, the first <laughs> of the of the two is it's summertime and I would love to hear about your experience, either as you're writing and putting together your sort of favorite, you know, how to be a person skills, or if you heard from parents after launch, like in your book, are there any that um, people found like particularly fun and easy? And I guess my big question is, what is the very first thing you would task a kid to learn your kid if you had to do it all over again? Ah, that's such a good question. I, I feel like I have a multi-part answer to that question. On the one hand, I think the most important skill in the book is how to apologize. Mm, I think yes. if you were going to have a turn this book into like a one page pamphlet, it would just be that. I think that skill covers so much ground and it's a skill like any other. You really just have to learn it by learning Practice. it and practicing mm-hmm. it. So that, but that's not like a fun summertime skill. I'll tell you the thing people most sent me videos and photographs of, and oh my God, do people send me videos and photographs of their kids, like cleaning the toilet. I love it. It's so satisfying. I, I loved it so much. The thing that was way beyond any other single thing that people sent me was their kids making quesadillas. And that I think is so delightful and wonderful because if you have kids home for the summer, it means they can make lunch. Yeah. And a quesadilla is much less fussy than a grilled cheese sandwich, which is way more inclined to burn. You have to figure out if you're putting the butter on the bread or putting the butter in the pan. Quesadilla, cheese is going to melt quickly. The tortilla is thin. The cheese is right there next to the heat. It is completely delicious and versatile. It's really cheap. You can put stuff in it or not. Oh my God, a hundred kids making quesadillas. I, that was my whole last summer. And I feel like that's an excellent skill. That's a life skill. We still have quesadillas for dinner. Like who doesn't want to eat a quesadilla? Everybody does. Yeah. Melted cheese. Like it is the best food and it's really easy to learn and kind of actually hard to screw up. So I loved it. Kids made like, um, video blog posts on their own, on their own like feeds about them making quesadillas. It was like the greatest thing ever. So if I were going to recommend a fun summer skill, plus a kid who's not going to make an omelet for their mom, maybe would make a quesadilla while their mom was working, right? Totally. Yes, totally. Well, that I need to give a little local plug local to you is if perhaps if you have somebody in your family who's gluten-free, like I am, uh, you can also replicate the quesadilla with taco, soft tacos, corn, corn tacos. Tortillas. And in Western Mass, there's an impl- amazing place I discovered called Mi Tierra, Mi Tierra. Tortillas. And oh my, God. I, uh, my last order, I bought 17 pounds worth of tortillas. Oh. So let's let's go. Yeah. OK, <laughs> I buy those. Tr- I buy those, too. My daughter has celiac disease. Quesadilla. Easiest gluten free recipe on yeah. the planet. Yeah, I know. That's I'm perfect. with you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I will link me to your, if uh, I do believe they <gasps> ship to different places like oh New York, God. Massachusetts. So I will link them in the notes as well. But just warn everybody that they'll be ruined. You, you ruined. won't be able to eat anything. That's else. it. Yeah. It'll just, you'll be like, 
darn, now I have to like figure out how to add these amazing tortillas to my budget when I used to think of tortillas as just like a regular cheap thing. Yeah. Oh, I found them to be, well, I bought them. No, no, I'm just saying, but if you had them shipped. Oh yeah. I just buy like the 17 pounds, the giant order and I freeze them. And it's, they freeze great. Oh my God. Listen to us with the household hints. We're like Eloise. I know. All right. Well, um, I do have one final question. At the end of each episode, Asha and I share what we call your next edit. It's like something super practical listeners can consider doing right away. I mean, obviously we've covered a whole bunch of that, um, but I would love to know if you have a your next edit specific to our conversation today. I Well, I do have one, but I, I'm worried it's going to just sound too like annoying, but no, this, is, this is it. <laughs> I think it's really important for your kids to see you helping joyfully Mm. and talking about it and talking about how good it made you feel. And I, I'm not a person who believes in altruism. I don't help because it's helpful. I help because I go to the survival center once a week to serve lunch. And then I come home and I'm like, I am such a hero. I feel so good about myself. And I just model absolute pleasure in the helping. Mm. And I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like that about, about like political action too. Like go to a rally and love it and stop at the food truck on the way home. Like everything, I just don't think everything has to feel so like earnest and punishing, like be joyful in all the ways that you're helpful in the world and let your kids see you do it. I Oh my gosh, I love that so much. You know, this has been such a bigger conversation than I had even imagined. So really, I thank you for that. And I thank you for sharing your voice and perspective with our listeners. This has been just, this has been joyful, truly. For me too, Christine, I loved, loved getting to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And listeners, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources we've mentioned at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, we love hearing your thoughts and questions. Chat with us on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send us an email at edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. We'd also be grateful if you would drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about us. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.